From Jordan-Hare Stadium to Auburn Arena. From the Plains to the recruiting trail and all points in between. If it's Auburn, we've got it covered. Did I say War Eagle or War Eagle? That's it? War Eagle. This is the Auburn Undercover Podcast with Brandon Marcello. Hey everybody, I'm Brandon. Thanks for joining us. This is The Roundtable. I am joined today by Philip Marshall, Jason Caldwell, and Ronnie Sanders. Uh, gentlemen, Auburn's one week closer to its SEC opener, but before they get to Texas A&M, they have to play Kent State. Auburn coming off a 24-6 victory against Tulane. Let's just start it off by asking, what does everybody think of this Auburn team at this point? I'll start with you, Philip. Oh, I think it's too early to say. I think that, uh, I think honestly, it's too early to say about most teams. Uh, I guess I'm, I, I have been, I don't guess, I know, I have been somewhat taken aback by the uh, uh, response to a, to a 24 to 6 win last Saturday. I, I don't think, uh, I, I guess I'm confused by it. I, I, I don't know what is so. Uh, terrifying and then or what would have been different if it had been 38 to 6 instead of 24 to 6 but but you know i think the things that we've written about it that, that uh there, there are things that obviously that places they have to uh to make some progress and uh get some things figured out and uh uh that's really not untypical for gus's teams at this time of year and uh we'll see uh starting next saturday uh you know, how, how much that they've been able to do. I mean, they have a freshman quarterback that's obviously uh, uh, made a huge, huge play in the first game, has had some struggles. So, uh, but I mean, this thing, they've beaten the nationally ranked team uh, with the great, really one of the biggest, biggest opening game wins in, the, in my time covering Auburn, which is a really long time. And, uh, uh, and uh, they won fairly comfortably Saturday. So I, I, you know, I, are they good enough to beat Texas A&M and all those teams or could, or have a chance to beat them? I don't know, but I, I don't know that there was anything that would make me know that at this point, uh, no matter no matter how they had played or how, how big the scores have been. Anybody else want to jump in there? Yeah, I mean, I think probably for me just, you know, you know I think Philip alluded to kind of the consternation from Auburn fans and those. I think – I think it's simply 13 yards rushing and a half against Tulane will do that. Um, now, they came back and ran the ball in the second half again like they did in the first game. Um, the question is, can they build on that and, and, and do that? And, and they should be able to do that against a Kent State team that is – They may be, this may be the smallest team I can remember Auburn playing physically in a long time. Um, they need to come out and, and establish the run early and, and, and show that they can be a physical running team now. Doing that against Kent State won't guarantee you do it the rest of the year, but I think at least it would give you some some thoughts that hey, this team is kind of finding something. And did they find something in the second half against uh, Tulane? You know, by pulling the guards and doing those things, it obviously uh, changed the the flow of that football game. Doing it, um, I think that's that's something that Mike um, you know Mike Barry and um, Byron Isom used to do really well in 2010. Looks like it's something that Markwell Orell and Mike Horton do very well right now. And, and, and will we see more of that? I think that's the, the big issue. Uh, can that be something that kind of spurs on that running game? And then the other one is um, 
Booby Whitlow, um, three fumbles, um, a lot of usage in a short time in that game. Can they get somebody else involved in that running game? Um, you know, to uh, to add a little bit more depth and a little bit more punch. And so, that's the things I'm looking for defensively. Status quo. Um, keep playing the way those guys are playing yeah, right now, yeah, and, and really have a chance to play in, in and be in every game they play in this year. Yeah, I'd have to agree with both those guys. Uh, I think that um, you know finding a backup to Booby Whitlow, I think I think would be uh, would be big for Auburn. Somebody to help share the load, and then you know against Kent State, I, I think one big question is you know can you get any better? And I think you can, you know, based on how you practice and how you prepare, and you know. But I mean, Auburn's going to have to be careful not to look not to look toward Texas A&M too much because that's um, that, that that's really when. I mean, when SEC when SEC play starts, uh, things get real. So I, I agree with Philip in the fact that, you know, I don't think we really know a whole lot yet, but I think we'll know a lot more after next Saturday. You know, this is an an Auburn team and and program, I should say, under Gus Malzahn. As you mentioned, Philip, it seems like it it takes three to four games um, for it to start finding its identity and its footing under Gus Malzahn. Um, I mean, heck. Even the 2010 season, we saw, um, you know, there were games that you're going, hmm, that's interesting. And then all of a sudden, as the season goes along, the offense starts catching up. They figure out the strengths of Cam Newton, and they start scoring points in bunches. Um, With this team, I think they're still trying to figure out Bo Nix, his strengths, his weaknesses. I think that you know maybe may, it's possible we might see them run him a little bit more in the future. Yeah, um, I don't doubt about that. Yeah, it's because it's interesting. Uh, one of our colleagues who, who keeps track of all this stuff said that every zone read in which Bo has kept the ball and runs the outside, he hasn't been tackled yet. He's always run out of bounds smartly. But he's usually picking up like 7, 10, 13, 14 yards on those plays. But obviously you run those when it's there, when you're reading the defensive end or sometimes the tackle. Um, But I think that maybe that's one way you can ramp up this running game that's been struggling in the first half of games. Um, So when we're talking about the offense, because that that seems to be the focus for a lot of us about – where they've got to improve because the defense is, I mean, the defense just seems like they just continue to do their thing. But with the offense and the run game, we've seen them spark in the second half of these games, but they're slow in the first half. How do they go about sparking the the running game when they just start the game? Or is it a deeper issue than that? Well, according to Gus, uh, uh, they need to the things they did. I mean, J- Jason alluded to uh, to to pulling the guards. Uh, they did some what they call gap blocking, as opposed to I mean, zone blocking is their main has been their main thing as it is for most teams. Uh, but they did they did more more gap blocking, which is uh, as I understand it is like more just one one on one blocking, and that 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 seemed to help. Uh, and and he said he said what Gus said is. The whole playbook, as far as the running game we're talking about, has to be available in the first half, and and that he, as he said, he had to do a better job of, of calling plays. So I, I think, because that was my question, uh, was okay. They, they clearly made good adjustments at, at the half of both games in the running game, 
So my question was, did they did they have to wait till halftime? Why couldn't why couldn't that be done earlier? And uh, I guess I should be a coach because he said I was right. But, well, uh, it's, it's still <laughs> something that that we kind of I kind of alluded to as well in, in in asking Gus about because you have five senior offensive linemen, should that make it easier? to adjust on the fly because it's more about those guys than it is what you're running on the back end. It's, right. it's all about the adjustments up front. you got five seniors and five fifth-year seniors that have been around a lot of football. And and so, you know, maybe you lean on those guys earlier in the game to go, hey, look, what are you seeing from there and what do you feel like, you know, you would do the best against this? Maybe it's something that you, that you do because obviously defensively, They've been able to talk through things earlier and and make some slight adjustments there. I think slight adjustments on the offense could could really help these guys as well. I agree. agree. It's a major adjustments on the special on, on covering punts. Oh yeah, absolutely. Goodness. That's gonna put you know they they have put the D they they wouldn't have given up as many points as they had have if they would have covered punts. That's, that's true. That's, that's one of the weirdest things I've seen. I, I don't, yeah, I don't they, get it. They've gone from. I mean, obviously, personnel changes every year, but they've gone from ninth nationally last year in punt coverage to last in the country, and it's only been two weeks. And it's it's, not even close to last. I mean, they're doubling up the next Right. It's remarkable. Um, And even that there was that one punt return, I think it was called back with a penalty, but um, Auburn missed four tackles on it before the guy came down, and it was just astonishing to me because I'm so used to – I mean – I'm so used to over the last three, four years seeing a defense and these coverage units just, I mean, the first guy usually makes a tackle and the first guy doesn't, the second guy's right there. And it just hasn't been like that for punk coverage at all this season. No, it really hasn't. And, and, uh, I mean, you know, if, if, if Daniel Thomas doesn't just absolutely refuse to quit and, and run the Oregon kid down at the nine yard line, they probably lose that game. Uh, uh, it was, uh, um, and then for it to happen again last Saturday and, and I, I don't get it and I've heard explanations, but I still don't get it because like y'all what I think they gave up like 37 yards and punt returns all last season. Something yeah, like that. It's some very right, number. Right. Yeah. They're, they're, they're already passed a couple of years worth of punt returns. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, years and, and it doesn't take great talent to cover punts. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's really not a talent issue, even if you got a bad team and, uh, uh, and it's the same coach, Larry Porter coached him last year too. So yeah, I, that's my, that's know. my, that's Weird. one of my questions. And, and I can't remember in my, my brain, obviously Larry Porter's the special teams coach, but there's different coaches that coach right. certain yeah. areas. Yeah. Is he in charge of punk coverage this year or he, is it someone well, else? He's, he, he'll be in charge of special teams itself. I believe Marcus Woodson, um, okay. and, and crime dog. Normally your, your DB coaches are guys that are coaching your gunners and those guys yeah. downfield. Um, and so I think they're, they're involved cause it's more of those guys that are involved in those things. And, you know, like Philip said, I, one of the things for me that I, I wouldn't mind seeing, I wouldn't mind seeing, uh, a Malcolm Askew. I wouldn't mind seeing some of those guys maybe that, that are, you know, a Dev, you know, Devin Barrett's on some of those things already, but, some of those guys that are a little bit down the line going, Hey, look, if you want to earn some playing time, here's your opportunity. Show me something on special teams. And we've seen guys do that in the past. And for a long time, that's really how those teams were fielded. And now got a lot of starters on those teams that are playing a lot of snaps too. And, uh, and, and it's sometimes that's a difficult thing to do for, for guys covering punts, but 
Uh, it's been it's been one of the maybe the, it has been the biggest the biggest question mark and and thing that I haven't really understood to this point. I'm telling you, I think if it was me, if it happens again, I just tell I would just tell slip offs, kick it as far as you can and out of bounds every time. I mean, I, yeah. it's, uh, because you just that would get you beat. It, you know, they've been good on it, but one time when they weren't good on it at LSU in 2017, it got them beat. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. It will get you beat. And and, and, and there's understand. gonna be dynamic guys back there to return those putts and games to come too. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I would understand a little bit more if if Sipos were kicking the ball right down the middle of the field, but he still continued to kick the ball to the numbers and yeah, he's and directional the kicking. Numbers. Yeah. And so his direction has been pretty good. Um, but I do I think they're gonna have to sacrifice. He's gonna have to sacrifice, and they talked about it. He's gonna have to sacrifice yeah. some of that distance. Um, kicking the ball maybe higher and 40 yards instead of deeper and 46 uh, and, and, and force fair catches instead of, you know, the other night, the one from Tulane, um, there were five or six Auburn players within five yards of him yeah. and he got away. Um, and it's hard to, it's hard to do that. Stop that unless you're forcing fair catches. You know, the, the dangerous thing about that though, Jason, with the guy like Sipos that can kick it so far is, you know, he's going to, if you want to call it missing, He's going to miss sometimes and kick it too far if you're trying to do that. I mean, you still better be able to cover. Correct. That's uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's like kick. It's like covering right. kicks. Sooner or later, you're not going to kick it off in the end zone, and those guys better right. be ready when you don't. Right. Exactly. exactly. Plus, plus tackling's tackling. You know, if you're there, make the tackle. Um, that it's as simple as that. And I, I do wonder, from a technical standpoint, obviously I've never been a punter, but like. This idea that, you know, Sipos has had to come in. He's changed some things from when he came from Australia. He's kind of settled in. He's averaging, you know, 45, 46 yards a kick. And now you're asking him to change things, just tweak things a little bit. Whereas, I guess, I don't know, Jason, maybe I can compare this to a golf swing. I don't know. But, I mean, you're asking a guy from, go like we said, maybe kicking 45 yarders to kicking 40 yarders with more height. Is it easy to do that? Easy to transition to that as a it's- punter? It's it's it should be a, just a minor adjustment, but it, here's the thing: it could do, it could have an impact on accuracy, um, because when you're changing a little bit of that, it's it's almost saying, like you know, like I said, for instance, a golfer when you're when you're talking about three quarter uh, three quarter wedge, uh, if you're asking him to okay, we're going to take a little bit off or try to kick it higher, the thing it can do is just a little bit slight angle could mean 34 yards instead of 40. And and so all of a sudden you kick it a little bit too high at times or get a little bit more wind and um, it could have an impact on overall uh, the field position game for a day. So uh, it's going to, I think takes a little bit of getting used to for, for him in terms of punting, if he's going to try to do what he did. And, and he got into a rhythm last year doing it where he was exceptional at about 42 yards and, and no returns every time. Um, I guess they've had to, he has to dial it back and, and get a little bit more, a little bit more air to uh, help out those coverage guys. You know, I know special teams aren't, that's not what people think about all them, but I look back to 2010 and, uh, uh, actually 2013, I'm sorry. And Stephen Clark was, uh, he had as much to do with that team doing what it did as almost anybody did. He, he was remarkable. And, uh, uh, I think that, uh, you start give, not only not getting anything out of special teams, but giving up points from out of special teams, it's going to cost you dearly. I don't think there's any question about it. 
And meanwhile, on the other side, Christian Tutt, I think, has been doing a fantastic job as Auburn's punt returner. Yeah. Uh, he's just been phenomenal. And he's going to break one at some point. You feel it. Every game, he just seems to be about one or two steps away from, from breaking one. So that's been good for Auburn um, in the punt return game on, it, on its own end. But, man, punt coverage, they've just got to – they got to figure something out there, but I think you know Christian Tutt is—he's uh, special, man. He's a really good player. Not not just obviously special teams, but what well, he's doing and, on defense this year. And the thing about that position is, is that you got to be fearless um, to be an exceptional punt returner. You got to just go back there. And he's—he basically admitted you know, Saturday, like I don't want to fair catch the ball, um, but he's also very sure-handed. He has been since he, since he arrived, and that's why he was a guy that. They caught a couple of those even last year as a true freshman. And uh, he has shown that he can be a guy. And you're right, Brandon. Every time Tulane punted Saturday, I thought, this guy has a chance to be a touchdown. And, and it seemed like, you know, a couple of those were, were a, a high eyelash away from being just that. Yeah, and that can be a huge difference in the game, obviously, when, you know, flipping field position or if it takes one back, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's huge. And the coverage game, like you guys talked about, I mean, they better figure out a way to get that fixed because that costs you games. I'm always impressed by guys like Tut that can I mean the ball's up there hundred feet in the air and you you got to keep your eyes on the ball and you know there's lots of mean guys with bad intentions <laughs> coming after you as hard as they can. I couldn't catch it. I know that. But uh I'm always impressed by that. Now the defense guys, um Save for, you know, slow starts, you know, on the first drive, and then Auburn, you know, obviously adjusts. Uh, they've been great, too. Um, I think the coaching's been fantastic on, on all ends, um, the personnel. And I think what I took away from the two-lane game was this. Everybody's like, well, where's all the sacks? Well, Justin McMillan's a dual-threat guy, and they were rushing four for most of that game. Um, I can only remember like one big blitz like popping out in my in my mind right now looking back on that game. So they're doing just doing a four man rush and they limited him uh, dramatically and that running game. Um, I think Auburn's just done a marvelous job of just keeping things simple, keeping everything in front of them, and it's resulted in a lot of three and outs. I mean, there was a point there I think four straight drives, Tulane had a combined minus three yards after they had gone down and kicked a field goal. Uh, Auburn just has the playmakers, the personnel, but also I think the veteran leadership to kind of simplify things and just do their job when they, when they're asked to do it. And and they're not doing anything exotic, so to speak, to have to get the job done either. You know, what's impressed me a lot of times and I was really curious about this, all those guys that, that considered coming out and, and then, and then came back. Sometimes that's a great thing. And sometimes it's not such a good thing because they've got their, they're worried about getting hurt or worried about that they're getting what they, you know, getting what they want to get to impress NFL scouts or what, or whatever. But these guys all seem to have come back for the right reasons. And they seem to be playing. Uh, they seem to be very focused on doing what they're doing for Auburn right now. And not on, not on any of that other stuff because they have, I mean, and again, we're two games into the season and, uh, but, uh, but so far, I don't know how how you could not be impressed. They didn't sack Macmillan last Saturday, but Lord have mercy, they 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 harassed him something terrible. And, oh yeah. Uh, uh, and Kevin Kevin has told me before 
that's really what matters most to him is that they is that they get to the quarterback whether they get him on the ground. Obviously, you'd like to get him on the ground. Uh, but I think to me that there was one thing to me uh, is that they haven't forced many turnovers. That's the, that would be the uh, if there's anything you would like to see get better, uh, I would think that would be it. You would think, you know, it was with, with as much damage as they're doing to the line near the line of scrimmage, we'd see a fumble or two at some point here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, obviously, Jeremiah Denson has that one interception so far, but I, I keep waiting for a fumble uh, of some sort. And and I'll say this: I know it's just two games, but in my opinion, you know, two of those guys that came back, Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson, I don't know if I've ever seen them play as hard as they they're playing right now. Oh man, um, yeah, they they are just relentless <coughs> every single snap. They've been they've been really good. I thought Marlon Davidson had one of the best games of his career um, the other night, and he's finally healthy. He's trimmed down a little bit. You can see the power that he still has, but he got that first step back a little bit. I think that he was missing for most of the year last year, and and then you know you're talking about that defensive line. Um, watching DeQuan Newkirk step in there and play and play at a pretty high level after, you know, not having very much experience in a couple of you know surgeries later. That's been one of the, maybe the biggest news stories of, of, of the season yeah. so far for that Auburn defense. Yeah. Not only is that not very much experience, not much practice either. No. I mean, he's uh, a, yeah. yeah, that has, that has been a real surprise. I wasn't sure they were going to get anything out of him for the whole season. To be honest uh, yeah, me too. I mean, coach, the coaches were hoping, just praying that they would get him back maybe by game four, like available. Right. And yet, yet he was out there for the the opening game, and now he's he's perform, performing. I, I I couldn't believe it, especially after you know just those little glimpses we get at preseason camp with our own eyes. You know, you hear things, but when you see it with your own eyes and you see him out there jogging on the side, and you're like, man, there's no way he's playing this year. And sure enough, boom, bam, he's out there kicking some ass. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Moving ahead of Kent State, I don't know much about them. We, <laughs> um, other than Woody Barrett is that quarterback, but may or may not play in this game. Um, they brought in the backup crumb uh, against Kennesaw State. They had to beat Kennesaw State with a field goal in overtime. Kennesaw State, of course, um, a good FCS team, number nine in the nation at the time, but Kent State's not Tulane. Tulane had a really good defensive line, an LSU transfer quarterback. Kent State, nowhere near that level. Um, Auburn's a 35-point favorite at this point. Uh, is this just a game where you go in and go, hey, let's just work out some kinks and get out of there with the victory, or do you try some new things? Do you do you test some new things out before you get into conference play? 
Yeah, for, for me, I look at this one as, as this one's all about Auburn. You hear coaches talk about it all the time. I think this is the classic example of that. Um, Kent State's, from an offensive standpoint, they want to do tempo, go really fast, do all those things. And because of that, and they have no size on the offensive line to speak of. Their left tackle is 273, left guard 260. Right oh, guard set two seventy. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, now their center, the wow. center, the center is three hundred pounds, and he's a good player. Nate Warnock, a senior center, and then right tackles is six six three thirteen. But they have very little size on the offensive line. Their tight ends are five nine two eighteen, six oh five one ninety five, and six four two twenty eight. Um, a couple of really small receivers. This wants to be a team. I, I envision very much what Tulane did, try to go really fast, spread yeah. it out, lots of bubbles, doing all those things on offense. And so, um, but you look at it defensively, and it's kind of the same thing. There's only there's only two defensive linemen on their depth chart that weigh more than 258 pounds. So wow. this should be a team that – now they got some fairly decent-sized linebackers, and I would imagine that they're going to stack the line of scrimmage. Yeah. But, um, this should be an opportunity for Auburn – this is one of those games where you want your guys to come out and impose their will. We haven't seen Auburn do that until the second half um, against Oregon. The first defense did it the first half and the second half against Tulane. Can can the entire team do that for, for four quarters? I think that's the goal. No matter what you run, you just go out there and say, look, execute and impose your right. will. I think that's the name of the game. I think that uh, you know, I've seen – I, I, I'm always hesitant unless it's like Western Carolina or some lower level FCS team. I'm always hesitant to expect that Auburn is going to go out and beat somebody 50 something to th- three or something, because I've seen them not do it too many times. This goes back. Uh, I think that the fans would all feel better if they would do that. And, uh, but I think to me, if you're going to, if you do something new, it's going to be because you won't, you want your future opponent to see it and have to worry about it or deal with it. Otherwise, I don't think like for instance, running the quarterback, I don't I don't see that happening a lot Saturday. I could be wrong, but I'd be surprised in this game for it to happen in this game. I think it'll happen in the next one. Yeah. I to to me too, I look at it and and what what does Auburn do in the passing game this week? No Seth Williams. Um Yeah. You know, how much can Anthony Smorts be involved? Who do they get involved? How much can they spread it around in the passing game and, and look at some other guys? Because got to find a way to, to create some plays and some explosive plays in the passing game. They've done those with with you know Seth Williams a couple times down the field and, and with you know with um, Will Hastings a little bit, but nobody else has really been explosive. They've got to find some explosive plays in the passing game. You know, I'm, it's, I'm curious to see about Matt Hill and uh, who was really good in the A Day game. Which you know that's an eight day game, but but who has apparently uh, really impressed, and this this should probably be a lesson to a lot of players. He has really gotten the attention of his coaches uh, by how hard he's played on special teams, and uh, and now he's going to be apparently get an opportunity with these injuries to uh, to get get a lot more opportunities in the passing game. So it'll be interesting to see how he does. Uh, you know that's the thing about the receivers; they've really it's it's and running backs uh you know they've they've just not been healthy i mean i i think that it's not only dj williams but uh mark antony what's his last name richards Jason. richards i think they 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 thought both of those guys had a chance to be early 
early contributors and neither one of them has been able to be out there yet. So, uh, uh, but the receivers, I mean, that's, they desperately need to get people healthy in time for, for the sec season though. I don't, I don't know how good it sounds on, uh, on Seth Williams as far as yeah. Texas A&M goes. Yeah. Seth Williams dealing with a, a shoulder issue right now and anything involving a joint, especially the shoulder, that's something that you just, it's difficult to put a timetable on. Right. And, uh, I, I you know, I, I think they'd be pushing it probably to get him back for A&M, right. but it could, it could right. happen. Um, and but he's the one guy that's kind of irreplaceable. They, that, yeah. That's, uh, you know, they just don't, he, he's a unique player. Well, not unique, but he's, there's not a lot of guys like him. And, uh, that you can just throw it up and feel 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 really confident that he going he's going to go out there and have a chance to get it. So, yeah, absolutely. They don't uh, they don't beat Oregon you know, without him. Right. It's right. that simple. Um, right. He's the one guy on the team that can go up and get the ball and what and that and he he can adjust as we saw in the Oregon game on the ball where it was purposely underthrown and he was able to adjust. I'm not sure there's. Uh, other receivers on this team that would have made that catch nine times out of ten like Seth Williams uh, would have and and did in that, that Oregon game. And then you look at Anthony Schwartz, as we mentioned. He had uh, hand surgery August 5th. He's played in every game uh, a little bit. They actually threw deep to him on a pass that you know would have been difficult to catch even with two healthy hands. But somehow he still uh, managed to get a hand on it on that deep route. But... Um, I think the hope there is that they'd be able to cut off that cast and, and have him free, so to speak, with his hand uh, for A&M. Uh, but, of course, I think what they're obviously doing is, one, they're keeping him involved in the offense, but, two, keep his legs under him, keep him in football shape, so to speak. I mean, we right. all know he's fast, but, you know, let him be accustomed to the speed of the game and, you know, reading defensive backs and everything when he's running downfield and how, how to do all that. So I think Schwartz – well, obviously, I think he will be, um, uh, you know, completely healthy potentially for that A&M game. But Seth Williams, uh, obviously a difference there. And it'll be interesting to watch um, how Auburn's offense evolves with shorts back in there. You know, do we see yeah. more jet sweeps with them? Do the, you know, I, I'm really interested because they, they, I've, I've heard, and Jason, you can weigh in on this as well, I'm sure. I've heard that they've got some, you know, different things and different ideas in, in mind for Schwartz this year compared to what they were doing with them last year. Yeah, you know, there's there's so much in the run game that that we haven't seen that I I think back to to the things they did with Ontario McCabe a little bit. It just wasn't a straight um, jet sweep at times. They did that that orbit motion and did some of those things that we haven't seen a lot of that yet. I think there's a lot of things you can do and and. Not necessarily even when you give him the ball, but just to have people see him on the field and yeah. knowing knowing well, we've got to account for that guy. It keeps um, you know safeties have to adjust. Uh, those linebackers have to get outside. All those things to open up a little bit more running lane in the middle too. So that's something that they that they used in the past in 2009, especially when Auburn didn't have a mobile quarterback that they used the the jet sweep motion all those things to open up running lanes for Ben Tate because they didn't have the quarterback as a runner and if you can do that and and Bo Nix knowing he can run as well then then that could give the give it a little bit more uh running room inside okay I wanted to switch here real quick just to uh, the national landscape in football and the team that just absolutely has captured my imagination for all the darkest reasons Ronnie is Florida State um, yeah no. and Willie Taggart. Um, 
what is going to happen to him? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you talk to people down there and <clears throat> they tell you that, you know, he really inherited a mess from Jimbo. Um, and if you notice, Jimbo didn't bring, you know, there were a bunch of guys that he didn't bring with him from Florida State and they're still waiting on a phone call. Um, so I think he left a mess. I think that Florida State wants to be patient with Willie Taggart. They've got a new offensive coordinator in, in Kendall Browse. Um, you know, but they looked uh, – the first week was pitiful, and last week against Louisiana Monroe, I mean, you know, if not for a missed extra point, uh, you know, who knows what happens there. So uh, to answer your question, Brandon, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I, I just think that, you know, with him and Jeremy Pruitt, um, if they don't show some significant improvement by the end of the year, it's going to be – you know, it's hard to fire a guy after two years, but at the same point in time, uh, it may cost you more not to fire him than it does to fire him. Yeah, Taggart, I mean, I hate speaking ill of people, but it's just Taggart's just been a guy I've never heard good things about as a coach. Um, whether it was obviously when he got first got to Oregon and now he's at Florida State. And then you mentioned Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee. I mean, goodness gracious, 0-2. Um, I know we've joked a lot about, Hey, when does Philip Fulmer just come in and go, Hey, uh, I'm going to coach, you know, be the Barry Alvarez of the South, um, and, and coach that team. But I had someone up there who's semi close to the program tell me that there's no way they fire Pruitt after this year, um, that he's safe for 2020 going into 2020. But, uh, I'll tell you what, it's amazing what Tennessee's been through this really this entire century um oh, since man. really about 2002 or so it's just been on a downward slope and i it uh i more than anything i think Tennessee's kind of a cautionary tale for every SEC program that considers itself in the top 6 or so in the SEC that this can happen to you um and it might not happen overnight but it's a slow fall and when it starts happening, it is very difficult to climb back up that mountain. You know, yeah, when it's really it, it's go ahead, Ronnie. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, sorry about that. But you know, it's 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 really hard for places like Nebraska and Tennessee to, you know, the, the landscape's changed a little bit. So if you're Tennessee, you've got to recruit nationally. And when you're winning, you know, it's it's a lot easier to go out and find kids when you're when you're uh, when you're as bad as they've been for as long as they've been now. Um, it, it's a lot harder to get it back. If you, and, uh, you know and when you compare some of these other places have a natural recruiting base, Tennessee's got to recruit nationally because there just aren't that many players in Tennessee. Same thing with Nebraska. You know, it's in my experience, when, when schools start shuffling through coaches, bad things happen. Uh, LSU won the, well, they shared the SEC championship with Auburn in 1988. And I think one year later they fired Mike Archer. And then they just started going through coach after coach. And LSU, with all their advantages, had seven losing seasons in 11 years. That's, that's pretty amazing for that to happen at LSU. And you look at, Al, you look at Alabama before Saban got there. Uh, of course, they had other mitigating – or I don't know if – no, mitigating is not the right word. Aggravating factors. But, uh, uh, but they, they, you know, it was – it was Dennis Francione, then it was Mike Price, then it was Mike Shula, then it was, I mean, well, go back to Mike Dubos. Uh, and it just, I, I, and I, that's not, that's not saying anybody ought to or ought not to make a decision to, to, to move on. But, but the problem, you know, I'm sure at UCLA, they thought they had 
they had they had hit a home run when they hired Chip Kelly, and they remembered everything he's done, he'd done in Oregon. Well, he he gets to UCLA, he has no players. Whoops. And and, and it doesn't work. And, and he doesn't he doesn't recruit them either. That exactly oh, it, Jason. Part. He can't recruit, and and that's Rodney a big says issue. He doesn't like to. He says he don't like to recruit. Well, yeah, he didn't that, really that, like to recruit. <laughs> well, he should have been college football. For college football coach. Yeah. Here, here's a here's here's UCLA. Um, roughly since the turn of the century, and you know this is a program that's never been. I mean, it's never been USC, but uh, you know they had five ten win seasons in that from 1980 to 2000, basically not to 99. Since then, since the year 2000. They've had three 10 win seasons and just a just just a crazy number of six and six, six and seven, maybe seven and six. Um, but I mean, the, the last time I mean they've gone they're they're heading for a a fourth straight losing season at UCLA in as much of a hotbed of high oh, school football as you incredible. can find in this country. Um, that's hard to fathom. Well, you know, they, had beaten, they had beaten USC seven straight times right before USC got good, and and Auburn was fortunate enough to play them. But uh, well, that's what I was about to say, Philip. I mean, USC, the, the fact that they, you know, that they started shuffling through coaches as well, and yep. you know, it it uh, it's hard to believe that they were as bad as they were for as long as they were too. By the way, you mentioned that <laughs> Ron, you know, Ronnie and um and and Philip like. What's with Auburn when they schedule these teams far out, and then when they get to them, they're really, really good. <laughs> I know North Carolina's getting good. Hey, I know. Cal Bears. Cal Bears are on the rise. I know. Well, right, I'll, I'll tell you what. Cal's defense is really legit. Have you watched hey, Justin, them? Justin Wilcox is a great defensive football coach. Incredible. It's so, it really is amazing. It really is. I mean, they when they schedule Clemson for all those games, they – Obviously, you know they that they're a team that can beat you, but you didn't think you were going to be playing some national championship juggernaut. Yeah. <laughs> like so watch out, them. watch out for Baylor, watch out for UCLA. You know, and obviously Penn State. I can't wait for that home and home with Penn State. Um, yeah, that's going to be great. But uh, it's just crazy, like you know USC back in the Tuberville days, and you know Clemson and. We'll see. I don't think North Carolina will be up there next year, even though they're having some uh, honeymoon success right now. But uh, it's just just interesting to me. They're just like, come come on, we scheduled this team, and all of a sudden they're they're like national championship contenders. Hey, but um, I've always said, if I coached in the SEC or was an AD, I was going to schedule the best sounding teams I could find that had no chance to win because it really doesn't. I mean, even beating Oregon. That was that was great, but you know you still got to beat these same other teams you had to beat, and if and if you beat them, then if you'd played Illinois State instead of Oregon, you'd still be just fine. Well, even with Oregon, I mean, when they scheduled them at that point, they were on a downward swing too when they scheduled them um, just yeah. a few years ago, and obviously, you know, um, Cristobal comes in there and you know brings in some great recruiting classes, and they're still building things up, obviously. Uh, I think yeah, Oregon's going to be pretty Taggart, legit. That would have been, I think that would have been a much different Oregon game if Will Taggart <laughs> yeah. was still in Eugene. 38 to, 38 to 3 Auburn. 
<laughs> Willie Taggart is head coach of Oregon. Yeah, exactly. That's um, the thing about Willie Taggart is, is uh, you know, he, he did a really good job at Western Kentucky, did a good job at South Florida. It took him a couple of years at both places, but, uh, you know, and then he was at Oregon one year. I think that what they went to go seven and five. Um, but it's it's been a mess at Florida State. I'm I'm just not sure they can recover from it. And they they got financial problems too, don't they? In the athletic department, they're not they're not flush with cash for sure. And that's uh, 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 I mean they they bought an 18 point lead and a, and a 21 point lead the last two ga- weeks against Boise State and ULM. And that's more frustrating to fans than lose yeah. just getting blown out. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Maybe Tennessee. I, I don't even know what to say about Tennessee. <laughs> you know, that's here's just... the thing. Here's the thing about Tennessee. I know we we talked about them being national recruiting base, and I, I mean, JC, you obviously know much more about this than I. But I would think, based off their positioning, they can go into Georgia and compete for guys. Or is it just? Just it's not historically been their thing, and it's tough to make inroads there, and you don't have some deep, deep, deep yeah. connections. They've they have done okay in Georgia at times. The problem is, is that everybody's coming to Georgia now. Right. It used to be that you know Tennessee would be able to get guys out of Georgia, but they also got the best player out of North Carolina. They would go to California and get a couple. They go to Texas and get a couple of guys. Well, now because the the landscape has changed so much in college football recruiting. Everyone goes everywhere. We used to never see USC and Oregon even talking about players in Alabama, much less recruiting those guys. And now they've come and signed players out of Alabama the last couple of years, which is just unheard of. Um, So for Tennessee, it's become a problem of, okay, um, yeah, those kids from Georgia, Tennessee likes me. Maybe I don't don't have a spot at Florida State or, or Alabama or Clemson or Auburn. You know what? I can go to Michigan. Yeah, okay, I'll go to Michigan. And so that's been the issue is that those kids are now going elsewhere in the country as opposed to regionally staying at home like they used to maybe 20 years ago. You know, when Tennessee was at its most recent best was when, you know, Tennessee and Florida was was a huge deal. And uh, and it was always on TV. And so Tennessee was getting more – and they were competing with Alabama, right? Getting more TV exposure than than than. Uh, but now, I mean, they still get just as much, I'm sure. But the problem is, bad. everybody gets lots of TV exposure now. It's like it's uh, you know, it's like you can watch anybody you want to watch. If you're a yep. high school prospect, you can watch any game you want to watch. Yeah, and if your exposure is is getting embarrassed on national TV, yeah. that's not yeah. good. And that's been the that's been the issue. I, I mean, what's happened to them against Alabama? I mean, and and now they just that's, that's, everybody knows that when Alabama plays them this year, they're going to beat them by fifty, and uh, just more. like they did last year, and do just about every year. It's it's amazing. Yep, Alabama's one true rival, Tennessee. <laughs> you know, it's, while we're talking about other programs, T Boone Pickens just passed away. Yeah, oh, I saw that. That's incredible. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah, he's done, I mean, old. he he's done so much, obviously, for Oklahoma State, but yeah. just beyond that uh affecting people's lives and and yeah. new energy and everything the things he's done is remarkable 91 did you say ronnie 91 years old that's a pretty good run at it yeah yeah he's done a lot done a lot for college football done a lot yeah. in other ways too yeah i mean it just he's done a lot of things you know as a philanthropist and 
obviously with his business to try and change the world. But um, you wonder how that changes things at Oklahoma State. Well, forward. he and Gundy were not uh, on the on the best uh, on the I, best terms. I heard I heard I heard that they actually started warming back up with each other, but maybe I'm that you know, I don't make it right. Story that was. I think I think that's what they wanted everybody to think, but oh, okay. I'm told that that, that wasn't the case. Okay. <laughs> if I live to be 91, y'all can come see me in the loony bin somewhere because I'm sure I will have no, I, I will have no idea who I am or where I am. How many millions you of dollars will you have? Do what? Does you must say right in the column. You, you might still be writing <laughs> the column at 91. <laughs> I guess Berman Bisher did that, but. Uh, uh, I don't know. My old mind, it's already not working as good as it once did. I'm afraid by 91 in the unlikely event that I'm still hanging around, that that probably wouldn't work. All right, guys. So with Auburn and Kent state, I mean, we're all expecting an Auburn victory, but let's just go around the table here. What do you expect from Auburn's offense and defense? in this game in their final non-conference game before heading into sec play i expect auburn to uh to run the ball effectively as they should uh and uh i, I expect their defense to be dominant but having said that i, I don't know that I, I expect it to be 49 to nothing i, I like i said i've seen too many too many times, and this is not an FCS team. It is a team with, with some players, and uh, and uh, you know, I think I think obviously you might give up a touchdown, and especially if you start if you clear the bench. But uh, I just think it's really important that they execute well on offense, regardless of who's on the other side of the ball. I think it would be really helpful that Bo Nix could have a high percentage of completions, and uh, just to give more. I, I think just. You know, obviously executing against Kent State and executing against Texas A&M are going to be very different things. But, but I, you know, I, I would guess that's what they'll try to do, and I would think they would they would be able to do. And uh, and it would obviously be good if they could get get Joy Gatewood, and if he's healthy, uh, DJ Williams some work. And I think for sure DJ Williams will get some work if he's healthy, regardless of the game. But I don't know if he's going to be. But uh, – to be able to get Gatewood in the game and just let him run the offense for two, three, four straight possessions, I think would be a, would be a really good thing for them too. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Yeah, I, go ahead. I would have to. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. I mean, I think if you can, if you're Auburn, you try to put the game away in the first half, develop some depth at running back and receiver, uh, get some guys on the field, and and really try to figure out what Joey Gatewood can do too. Uh, I think having him in the game, like Phillips said, three or four series, and let him let him run let him run the offense. Um, I think that I think that's really uh, and, and try to get out of the game without anybody getting hurt. If you can accomplish those things, I think you've uh, I think you've gotten better. But I'm never surprised when Auburn's playing these kinds of teams. I mean, I, I I watched them be seven points ahead of Mercer with eight minutes left in the game. So uh, <laughs> I remember Utah State a few years back. <laughs> Utah State, who clearly should have beaten them, uh, the the after in the first game after they won the national championship. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, the way the way, <laughs> we'll the way the first the way the first half went last Saturday, I'll be very surprised if if they don't come out and, and play very well and very crisp early in this game. I think that's the key for me. Um, don't need a don't need a second half 
run kind of kind of grind a, a game out in this one. You need to come out and take care of business, like Ronnie I said. Agree. Here's the other thing: you need to be able to get a second offensive line group in the game. Oh yeah, yes, I absolutely. Malzahn, I thought Gus Malzahn missed the golden opportunity to do that Saturday uh, with about five minutes left. He could have had five minutes of of that second offensive line working together and miss that opportunity. And, and you mentioned, you know, getting Joey Gatewood in the game, getting Joey Gatewood in the game and just running, running the ball and, and handing it off. That's not going to do much good either. You're right. You got to come in and run the offense and, and right. do those things that, uh, and Gus Malzahn had, does not have a history of doing that. Um, no. we'll see get that opportunity Saturday, but they need to get, they need to get a second offensive line group in the game if they can. And that means taking care of business early to me. That's the thing I'm watching for. Can they do that well enough? to get those reserves in the game and give them some experience. I'm with Jason completely on the second offensive line thing. They've got to get their backups in as a unit, not just sporadically here or there late in the game and, and let them run the offense and let them get used to things. Because at some point, it's just how football is. An offensive lineman is going to get hurt. They're going to get nicked up, whether it's for a few plays, a drive, or for several games. And they're going to need one of those guys to step in and – You've got to develop some depth. You've got to get them in because this is Auburn's last chance to do this until Samford. And at that point, Samford, it's about just resting people before you play Alabama, not about developing depth. So th- this is their last chance. They've got th- th- So the offense and defense, they have got to come out on fire and give those backups an opportunity in the second half to run the offense, to run the defense, so they can develop some depth heading into the SEC season because – Soon as Texas A&M starts, guys, it gets brutal, and, and we all know oh, that. Man. I mean, that three-game road stretch is staring Auburn right in the in the eyes after they play A&M and then come back home. Um, as we know, with with LSU on the horizon, that's that's a big one. But A&M is obviously a big one, and, and one in which obviously Auburn will not be favored, I would think. And um, it's a difficult road ahead, and they've got to develop that depth right now and correct those mistakes. You know, if they come out offensively and struggle again, um, uh, oh boy. Um, but when I when I heard Jason talking about their offensive line, all I could think about was Derek Brown's gonna like eat three <laughs> three linemen alive at the same time and then so, tackle the quarterback so, so poor kids just gonna disappear never to be seen again <laughs> you gotta wonder you gotta wonder philip like what are those guys thinking right now when they go oh wow Look i'm so much smaller <laughs> that's that's gotta be scary I mean, they won't admit it but it's gotta be a little scary Dive at his, his ankles. That's all I <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right, guys. That's going to do it for the Roundtable Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For Philip, Jason, and Ronnie, I'm Brandon. We'll see you down the road. No one has it covered like 24-7 sports. Go undercover with Auburn Undercover. Auburn Undercover.